to the Bucket Problem, episode 13. I am your host, Ace Anbender. We are brought to you, as always, by Homefield Apparel. I will get it out of the way right now. Use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. Michigan is coming off a 31-10 to 10 just pasting of Washington that really uh, was not as close as the final score would indicate, mostly because... Michigan runs for 343 yards at six yards a clip. Uh, they put the passing game away for the most part, which uh, we'll, we'll get to uh, the discussion and the discourse about that. But Michigan did not need to do anything but run the ball at Washington. They did it at will, and they come away with a very comfortable three-score win over a Pac-12 team that is, yes, 0-2, and yes, lost to an FCS team in Montana, but is coached by a pretty good defensive coach and does uh, maybe have a pretty good defense. We'll, we'll find out over the course of the rest of the season. That offense is abject, so we can only take away so much uh, from Michigan completely shutting them down. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, other than the offensive play-calling stuff, which, again, we'll get to later, it was hard to have anything but, like, complete good vibes coming out of this game. We are going to do what we did last week and start off the podcast with our big moods. Um, I want to start off with uh, Alex's because he was the one of us who was at the game and actually like got to take in the entire night game atmosphere. So, Alex, thanks for being on again. Um, how was it actually being there? It was great. Uh, we tie, we tailgated at Pioneer High School. Go Pioneers! Um, so I thought of you <laughs> while I was there, Ace. Purple but, Pride, uh, baby. Yeah, I really enjoyed being at the game. Um, my big mood of the week was not necessarily the whole game atmosphere, but a specific specific moment um, where Phil Brabs was honored for his contribution to the 2002 victory over Washington, which was the last time the Huskies had traveled to Ann Arbor. That was actually a game I attended as a small child. And for those who don't remember it, um, Michigan missed three field goals, including a chip shot with only a couple minutes left and eventually got in place for a fourth field goal attempt, kind of long. I don't think there was anybody in that building who thought that kick was going to go in. Um, But yeah, Phil perhaps split the uprights and my family season tickets were actually in the North end zone about 10 rows up. So that, that was coming right at us. And yeah, one of the um, iconic moments, I guess, of Michigan football in my childhood, Uh, it was a top 15 matchup. I remember seeing uh, Lee Corso put on the, the Husky head on the field right before the game when they, when they had the set in the stadiums back then. And yeah, seeing him honored and, and he wound up not really doing much over the course of his college career besides that kick. But um, I don't know if you've followed him on social media, you'll know that he has actually battled cancer at a tragically young age and, and overcome it. Um, and they, it was like in the second or third quarter, they showed him on the jumbotron and he got a nice standing ovation and, yeah, to think about how much has changed over the course of those 20 years, both for him, for the program, for, for even the stadium. We didn't have night games back then, and the luxury boxes weren't there, no jumbotrons in the end zone, so on and so forth. Um, it was really cool to see him honored, and uh, it was just good vibes all night long. Another player, former player who was honored was Steve Hutchinson, and I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody in the big house thought that that was Aiden's dad. Um, not he was the case. also there. <laughs> yeah. They showed him on TV a lot. I, hand up, 
absolutely was in that group until like uh, God I don't damn know, yesterday it. when people started tweeting about it. I had no, I, I, I thought there was only one Hutchinson. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm so sorry. You're supposed to like, be our oh, offensive yeah, no, line guy, dude. <laughs> I, well, it's funny because I was like, it, it, I did have the thought before that I was like, oh, that's crazy that he's like an all pro uh, offensive guard and a doctor. Like that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> I, like, I had that thought. And I was like, I'm like, yeah, he's just a talented guy, I guess. You know, good for him. And it's like, I, yeah, that's very, uh, yeah, no, uh, embarrassing of me in retrospect. Before <laughs> Alex continues, uh, Chris Hutchinson was a very good defensive end for Michigan in the late 80s. A very, very good defensive end. Um, and maybe early 90s. I might, I hope I have my ears right. Um, anyway, Alex, continue. Yeah, I guess uh, Steve Hutchinson tweeted, um, you know, something along the lines of like, re- he was quote tweeting Aiden Hutchinson, who's like, by the way, Steve's not my dad, um, which apparently he <laughs> felt compelled to give that fact check. But uh, I yeah, wonder why Steve Damn. was like, man, if I was Chris's little brother, I would have gotten so much more love on campus when I was there, which I thought was funny. But yeah, I actually sat um, my seats for the game were a couple rows behind the block of Washington fans in the Southwest end zone. Um, so I saw their reactions all game. You know, they were super excited when uh, their team took the field. They brought part of the band with them that were, were crammed into the upper deck seats um but uh yeah once they transition from steve hutchinson's wolverine highlights to his highlights in the pros as a seahawk um and again he was one of the probably the best offensive linemen of his generation uh he got a good cheer from the washington fans and that was one of the only times they cheered all game because (laughs) it was a complete ass kicking and from a visiting fan's perspective i would put that atmosphere up with what i saw um back in 2019 in Happy Valley for a whiteout because it might not have been as loud as that, but just the the color really came through with, with the crowd and yeah, the game momentum was against Washington all game. So yeah, it was, it was a great environment and a great win. Yeah. That, uh, the atmosphere certainly popped on watching it on TV and it certainly sounded, uh, like it was quite loud in there. I've, I've been to a, a couple Penn state, uh, whiteout night games at this point. We won't, discuss them any further um and uh that was pretty close to that level in terms of how it came off on yeah TV. i've i've been to plenty of games at the big house over the years and that was about as good of an environment as i can remember in terms of noise it, and it was also by far the most coordinated the fans have ever been in terms of wearing the same color it's it's not even close it was good that they had that in uh mid-september and got nice weather for it yeah, I was going to say that, that that was definitely, I mean, I, I always kind of like, I think the whole like, oh, the big house is overrated is an overrated take because, you know, I think we've talked <laughs> about this before, but the reason the big house is quieter than it should be is because it's, um, you know, convex, like, right. It's like so much sound escapes up into the air. It's because it was built like a thousand years ago. Um, but uh, when they didn't have like, you know, sharp angles. Um, and, uh, anyway, the point being like, I thought it was interesting that, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, I was, I was pleasantly surprised, um, that, you know, we, uh, we got all the entire crowd to do the, the, the same thing. And, you know, it was a pretty raucous environment and, you know, it's, I think it really came across the recruits that were there too. So yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty good to just see those like vibes and feel like there was real momentum behind the program again. Yeah. And I don't want to wade into this discourse at all, but the crowd 
belted out uh, Mr. Brightside. They were they were really singing it from the bottom no, of their lungs. Let's <laughs> let's go ahead and wade into this. Mr. Brightside <laughs> is fine. It makes me feel very very old, but it's fine. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it's cool a good that song we have off a thing. Of a good album. Yeah, I agree. People want okay. Here here's my take. Right. People want like a more intimidating song, and and I get that. Okay, I get that it's a song about like getting cucked, being down real bad, <laughs> right? Down the baddest. Uh, yeah, and and I I totally understand that. But you need a singable karaoke song to exactly. be for that many people to sing in unison. You know, like yeah. you can't. I mean, look. It would be sick to do like X and give it to you. Like I, I would, like that would be like very intimidating. But like, man, if you first thought the all, boomers were mad now, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. My question I'm is always, like, go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, I just think it's like it's the perfect song to have 100,000 people sing along to, and it sounds objectively cool. Like you, you can't help but get like goosebumps. You know what I mean? So anyway. It is one of the so, best white people karaoke songs for people <laughs> under the age of like forty. So it's it's a good fit in that regard. Uh, thanks I, for I including me, Alex. A very serious take here, though, which is that as you guys always make fun of me for, I'm a Duke alumnus. I spent a ton of time in Cameron Indoor, and say what you want about Duke, Cameron is a genuinely tough place to play. Famously, uh, and it is very loud and very hot. I might add in there. And do you guys know? I think I told you guys this. You guys remember I told you what the Cameron Crazy is the song that we always sing is. <laughs> um, I'm trying. Is is it Phil Collins? No, no it's way it's, it's way worse, it's worse than, than that. that. Oh, I, uh, I forget what it was, but I knew it was bad. It's every time we touch by Cascada. Uh, oh like, Lord, that's bad. right. <laughs> Which is an incredibly what do you girly, mean worse? I like... thought you said worse. <laughs> <laughs> I that is a really like like girly dance not very good dance song like it, there's just so many reasons that it's not intimidating it has nothing to do with sports it's like it's not even a very good song but it gets everybody rocking <laughs> oh, and jumping not. up and down and like that's what you want and i think i think i think this is a classic case of michigan fans overthinking things which we love to do so I wonder what Zion Williamson thinks when he looks over and sees a bunch of nerdy kids <laughs> singing that song <laughs> I, I do happen to think that uh, that Mr. Brightside, you know, is a good song, but you no, know, I have bad taste, so that's that's okay. Um, but it, first of all, like the, the song everyone goes to, like as like the example, is um, "Jump Around" uh, at Wisconsin. And I'm sorry, I like the song "Jump Around." It is not a good song, like to listen to, like just as you know, like as as like you know. Uh, if if you were just like picking a song to like play at like a party or something that wasn't in the context of like you know thousands of people jumping around to it, so I do think Hot Fuss is a really good album. So like I I agree, yeah. Like I I think it's a good song. Uh, do I regret wading into that discussion? Possibly. Uh, but here we are. Uh, my big mood uh, is meat, um, which is my praise for the offensive line because for Michigan to come out in a game against a team that has a pretty large defensive front is pretty stout up front. Now that that wasn't, you know, the strength for Washington for a long time has been their secondary, but uh, you would have expected Michigan to at least have to, you know, throw a change up every once in a while. And they had 56 run plays and 15 pass plays. That's an astonishing mix. And, it worked, and it worked because Washington c- 
could never stop Michigan from consistently gaining yards. Um, they only recorded three tackles for loss all game, which is, again, pretty astonishing on, on 56 rushing attempts. Um, and Michigan didn't just do... I mean, for Michigan to have turned over as many starters as they have, be breaking some new guys in, um, have kind of changed their lineup a little bit for this one because Zach Zinter went from being rotated in as the sixth lineman in the Western game uh, because he was hurt to starting in this game and playing the majority of it uh, with a big old club on his hand and looking fantastic. Um, I, I mean... They're rotating through six or seven guys because you got uh, Chuck Filiaga in there too. Um, I mean, they are running both zone and gap concepts and doing stuff that we didn't necessarily see them do last year. There's a um, Seth, Seth Fisher posted a really excellent neck sharpies on MGO blog that kind of details a, a, a wrinkle to um, counter trade that Michigan put in there. And that's like, it's intricate stuff. And, it, and it's stuff that you wouldn't ne- necessarily expect Michigan to be, be running in week two um, and running without seeing any major blown assignments up front. Like we didn't, we didn't see a scenario where a Michigan running back got lit up in the backfield because uh, you know, a lineman was pulling the wrong way or um, you know, a guy, a guy missed a, a gap. It, it really, it was extremely consistent. And then they were moving guys. And that is exactly what you want to see at this point. Um, we might have to do uh, ask again later for pass protection, but I'd feel pretty decent about that with Stuber and uh, Hayes out there as the two tackles. And it seems like the interior of the line, I mean, Vastardis has looked really good, and I, I would say he was probably the guy I was most worried about on that. In, in you know, being at least in terms of like being able to move people around on the offensive line, because he's a little bit smaller than they would have than the guys they would have had out there otherwise. But uh, it's hard to question any of the lineup choices or uh, running calls or even the balance between run and pass plays, at least in that game, when it is working that well. Um, I mean, I, I detailed in my newsletter uh, that went out yesterday that, uh, I mean, there are like three other games since 2000 against, you know, defenses with a pulse where Michigan has had this much success on the ground. And the running backs were obviously a pretty large part of that. Blake Corum looks fantastic. Hassan Haskins looks fantastic. But a ton of those yards were earned by the offensive line. And that's a great sign going forward. And it was really fun to watch on Saturday night. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I'm, and I think that's, that's also important in the context of uh, Sharon Moore taking over as the offensive line coach from Ed Warner. And we obviously had, zero idea how that would go because Moore has never coached offensive line before and at least the early returns on that are uh, pretty phenomenal yeah I wanted to touch on that real quick Uh, it's good to see because um, they seem actively better than last year right I mean obviously you know it's it would it would have hard to it would (laughs) be hard to be worse than they were last year but 
it seems like, I mean, I'm already pretty much ready to say that Sharon Moore is like a good offensive line coach, which is huge. I mean, that was a huge unknown. And coaching offensive line is not something necessarily like, I don't know, coaching running backs where I think you sort of have it or you don't. You have to do some real work in, in terms of coaching offensive line. And we knew that Ed Warner was very good at it, and it was a big, big like fulcrum point on the season whether or not Sharon Moore would be good at it. And it seems like, I mean, I have rewatched a couple of times, and I just see very few like missed assignments, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, no, huge, huge, huge positive for for the team's uh, prospects. Absolutely. And Dan, I'm just going to throw it right back to you because you've got the final big mood that is related specifically to the Michigan game and not uh, another game that we're going to be very pleased to talk about soon. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that game, of course, you know, we're talking about uh, MSU Youngstown State. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, no. So uh, I think my big mood for this week was... Um, you know, kind of a kind of a sort of a moment of relief that I don't feel like I've had uh, related to Michigan sports since the um, since the LSU game, um, the LSU basketball game uh, back in the Sweet Sixteen or not even Sweet Sixteen, whatever the uh, the round of thirty two doesn't matter. But um, in that LSU game, it just it felt like you know Michigan was just always on the brink of pulling away, and um, they it was just a very very tense game that I was just like biting my nails the entire time. And I think Chandy Brown at one point hit a three, and I was like, "That's the moment! Like like we're good! Like it's gonna be okay!" And like I literally like you know I don't really shout too much like when I'm watching the TV because I try to be like a sane person. Um, I don't believe but, you. <laughs> I I I really I'm I'm pretty even keel. I have like my like one moment a game. So that was like my moment. Um, but I had a similar moment in this game. Uh, I felt like, you know, it, it was pretty apparent like from the jump that Michigan was the better team. And the question was just going to be like whether or not it was going to be the type of game where, you know, Michigan like sort of is the better team but lets them hang around and, and, and either wins close or maybe even loses or is the better team and just like pretty comfortably like walks away with it. And, um, you know, Harbaugh goes for that fake punt, which I loved, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, and uh, and then the very next play, Corum just goes through a, a, a monstrous gap, pulls away from the safety and is just 1000% uh, gone. Um, and uh, I, I like I like stood up and I'm like, you know, you kind of like do your little check for flags. And I was just like, you know, hell yeah. Like I was I was shouting and, and being way too loud and probably waking people up. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, it just felt like a huge, huge relief of just like this is not going to be like once that game went to two scores. I'm like, they're not winning this game. Like I, I, I can feel pretty good about this. And mm-hmm. um, it, it, it was awesome. And it was a great moment. And like. It was cool that you know to see to see just how fast Corum is and to put up see him put up the uh, the tree kill peace sign. That's that's a tree kill thing, right? That was kind of a thing that he. Um, yeah, unfortunately, Tyree Kill does yeah. that. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, okay. You're right. He is problematic. Uh, I'm bringing all kinds of problematic energy to the pod. Today. <laughs> this is I, the one where we finally I, get unlike canceled. unlike normal Dan. Unlike which normally, is to- totally um, not problematic. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but it was it was no the, the the whole thing. It was a huge relief, and it and it felt great. And you know, yeah, great moment. 
the angle that the safety took on that run was <laughs> so bad. Like you could see it from where I was sitting. It was like, man, he had no idea that this guy was this fast. He came yeah. up like he was tackling prime Davion Smith. And <laughs> <Yeah>. uh no. <laughs> that's not that's not what that was how that was gonna go. Um, yeah, like, I can't remember who pointed this out, but somebody mentioned and at this point, like my Twitter conversations and reading articles and like group chats and like text messages have all run together into just an absolute mess in my head. So I'm sorry for not crediting uh, whoever mentioned this, but I think that safety was really messed up because he was accustomed to having to come up and charge up very hard at Hassan Haskins because you need to be ready to hit that dude and you need momentum or you're going to get lit up as a safety. And that was an angle that, I mean, it might still not have necessarily been the correct angle for tackling Haskins, but at least would have been a lot closer. Uh, but with Corum, it was off by like a solid 10 yards. Yeah, I think I think there was that was pretty much a lose-lose. There was so much space. There was no way that he was going to be able to tackle uh Honestly, Blake Corum or Hassan Haskins—that was—that was going to be—that was going to be housed um, regardless. It was like a but, literally yeah. perfectly blocked run play by the, yeah. the front there. It's it also like, like probably better. It's better for that safety that he wasn't close to Corum because otherwise Corum probably would have just juked or knocked him over, and that would have been more embarrassing than just not being there. So <laughs> yeah, he, did, actually, he just kind of politely is... took himself out of the picture. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually worth mentioning. Michigan is uh, number two among Power Five teams with broken tackles right now, and most of those are Haskins and Corum. They're number two only to Alabama in tackles broken. So uh, yeah, you don't. <laughs> These guys, I mean, I, I don't know what the arc of Michigan season will be yet, but I do know that every single defense they play, even the best ones, is going to be very sore and miserable about those two running backs at the end of the game. So, And really quickly, before we move on, I would like to point out that the Washington safety responsible for that touchdown was not Alex Cook. And in fact, Alex <laughs> had a great tackle on Caden McNamara um, on the one time Michigan kept the ball. So just want to throw that out there in case anybody, you know, has you know, an idea you, that Alex Cook was responsible for that touchdown because he definitely wasn't. When when you told us you were going to the game, we had no idea you were going to be in uniform for the other team, and we're we're gonna have to discuss that off air because uh, I have some thoughts. Yeah, Jim saw Jim saw Alex back there, and he was like, "Yeah, we we got to run the ball fifty two times today. That kid's <laughs> that kid's sharp. <laughs> He's got we, range. <laughs> we can't test this guy over the top here. I've heard him on the podcast. He's he's a problem." <laughs> <laughs> That's a horrifying thought. Um, yeah, uh, for those that are not quite following, uh, there was actually a player named Alex Cook, uh, but not maybe not our Alex Cook. Possibly yeah. our Alex Cook. You That's know, we'll, my we'll name. Leave, we'll leave that up to y'all. Um, but uh, yeah, Washington had a defensive back named Alex Cook. Uh, Connor, I am so happy to throw it to you for this one because, uh, I mean, as much as we want to go over Michigan beating Washington. That was a relatively straightforward game, and I feel like we've covered a lot of what we need to cover. And meanwhile, uh, something else happened on Saturday that I think is worth talking about. Yeah, so Oregon's uh, beef spread destroyed Ohio State's defense. Ran over them, through them, around them, and then Joe Moorhead... Their passing game was only okay, honestly, but like Joe Moorhead was able to find the gaps in their coverage when they needed a, a, a play. It was actually like clockwork. Like they were, they had a lot of miscues in pass game actually, but like when they needed to find something, it was always there. And I think I give Moorhead a lot of credit for that. He's a great OC. Um, but more to the point, like Ohio State's defense is bad. Like I'm not even sure that they're mediocre. They look bad, bad. 
like as in not knowing where they're supposed to be, like giving up the edge uh, in in pretty remarkable ways at times. Linebackers don't know what gaps they're supposed to be in. Um, they don't seem to have internalized the relatively simple schemes. They're much ballyhooed defensive line, which is where most of their big recruits on defense are, um, was getting shoved around by Oregon. And Oregon probably has one of the best offensive lines in the country. Although I will say preseason Washington was supposed to be better in the Pac-12, which is which cracks me up. But uh, <laughs> Oregon, I mean, respect to Oregon here, but like, you know, I don't think they're a legit national title contender. And they just shoved OSU around, um, paved them in a not entirely dissimilar way to what Michigan did to Washington. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> I don't need to explain why this is a big mood for Michigan fans. I also don't know how Ohio State will fix it this year because I think one thing that, you know, demoralized Michigan fans assume about Ohio State is like, oh, well, you know, they must have a bunch of amazing recruits on their bench they can use if their starters aren't good. Not on defense. Um, uh, Jordan Proctor, sadly, is was probably one of their best players on defense this year. They're starting safety. They Josh play. Proctor. Josh Proctor, sorry. Um, he's he's good, and now he's out for the season, it sounds like. And the guys behind him are like low three stars, like ranked in the 500s and 600s nationally. Um, actually a lot lower rated than Michigan's backup safeties, not to mention our starting safeties, um, which is interesting. Yeah, I think one right? of them they took because it's like Malik Hooker's younger brother. And it was like yeah. well, Malik Hooker worked out as a three star, so maybe his brother will. And uh, I mean, we'll just maybe. see that theory you know. tested. Yeah, so I think the interesting point here that this is getting into the weeds, but it's like they're all but officially saying that Kerry Coombs is toast. Ohio State's recruiting on the defensive side of the ball has been worse than you think, and two of their biggest recruits on that side of the ball are true freshmen right now. Um, there is some real vulnerability there, and this is not me saying that Michigan's going to beat them, but it is a nice reminder for Michigan fans. We should never assume that they're invincible just because they've been really good. Ohio State fans should not assume that they're invincible just because they've been good, and it's really nice to see them frankly suck uh and suffer (laughs) i love it yeah they they um i mean their defense just like it just looks like a defense that you would call for like a high school team like they just line up in their like cover it's either cover three or man defense mostly man and uh are in the exact same spots every time like they don't even really have like basic like kind of like radar type fronts where everyone lines up in like a blitzing type formation like they just line up their linebackers and their defensive linemen and their safeties and cornerbacks in the same place every time and look I mean even if Kerry Combs uh, is not a good defensive coordinator he's certainly forgotten more about football than I probably will ever know but it just like does not seem like a complex defense and even though it's not complex it doesn't seem like the, the the players know what their role is in that defense it seems like they're confused and that's really like limiting the amount of athlete like the amount that they can just take advantage of their athleticism and just play and it looks it just doesn't really look like something that is going to be turned around within the season. It's it doesn't seem so much like a easy. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Easy. You're right. I'm not going to get too much I'm not going to get too ahead of myself, but it's it's it could look, they could certainly figure it out. It wouldn't be the first time that someone something, you know, breaks their way entirely, but it does feel like something that's going to take like an off-season to fix, you know. So, I don't know. It's it, it's it's shocking is what I'm saying. It's shocking to see them be that bad mm-hmm. with that much talent. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they're going to do a version of what Michigan did last year, which is like a panicked, oh, we got to try to install an entirely new defensive scheme midseason because our normal scheme is getting roasted so badly. And it'd be calling more cover too, which would be really hilarious. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, to Dan's point, like, 
uh, about the simplicity of the defense. That's worked fine for Ohio State in the past, but in the past they've had uh, top 10 picks like at both cornerback positions and uh, like possibly Hall of Fame track edge rusher for longer than we would care to talk about uh, because they having the the Bosa brothers back-to-back and Chase Young, even when you are recruiting at an absolutely ridiculous level like Ohio State has recruited, that is not always how it turns out. Uh, and they are learning that right now with Zach Harrison, who is good, it seems, but not on the Bosa or Young level in terms of his impact as an edge rusher. And when defense or when offensive uh, play callers don't have to account for that level of just absolute edge terror, that changes the way you're approaching things on offense. Same with not going up against a true lockdown corner. And now you're starting to see some of the things that came up with Ohio State, even in their best years, where you know the linebacker level has has been a bit of a concern a, a lot of the time. And they did keep things really simple on the back end because they've had really good free safeties between Malik Hooker and Jordan Fuller and top-tier cornerback play with Marcus Lattimore and Jeffrey Okuda and, I mean, a whole string of guys. Um, and they might not, just not have the horses to run that defense this year, and Coombs has never been a schematic genius. I, I mean, that has not been his calling card. It's been recruiting, to be honest, and then he's kind of been Peter-principled into the defensive coordinator spot a couple times, and then eventually bumped back down to secondary coach. Um, And we might be seeing uh, the Peter Principal bit uh, this year, especially since, as Connor alluded to, um, Ryan Day was given the opportunity to uh, voice his support for Coombs uh, in a press conference. And instead of doing that, he just kind of deflected the question um, and said that they weren't going to make any hard decisions. And uh, that sounds extremely foreboding for both Coobs and Ohio State because, yeah, um, as Michigan fans well know, you do not want to be trying to significantly alter your approach midseason, and you certainly don't want to be doing that while covering up for some possible personnel uh, issues, and it seems like Ohio State might have that at free safety. their linebacker level, once again, doesn't look that great. And, man, as I keep talking, I'm, I'm getting into that dangerous territory that I was warning Dan about. <laughs> um, I, I've had to talk myself down a couple times over the weekend uh, in conversations about, like, oh, boy, like, when we're talking about Ohio State, let's make sure to note that we're talking about, like, moving the needle from, like, what feels like a 20% chance of victory to, like, a 40% chance of victory and not, like, this, Michigan's got to pave them like they just paved Washington. Um, but... I mean, it's hard not to feel some hope. Yeah, I think it's nice to feel some hope. I do think it's 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 fair, even though I just said, you know, I think that their defense might be a season-long issue, we will see a totally different team and, and probably, like, uh, even an, an improved offensive team by the time we play them, you know, in November. So, you know, it, it, everything that we just saw this weekend should be taken with a grain of salt. It's mostly just nice to see them, like, you know, be vulnerable. Um, one other thing that I did want to point out that I, um, I saw – uh, someone uh, posts somewhere. I'm sorry that I'm not crediting it correctly, but um, there was apparently like almost an all-out mutiny on the sidelines in the second half, like of coaches like Day and and uh, Coombs going at each other, and and players going at Coombs. 
and Coombs was trying to like um, uh, install a defense that he had not practiced like since last year, just like on the sideline <laughs> after halftime. Um, you know, all that taken with a grain of salt. It's coming from like you know. 24-7 guys that are probably getting the order from uh, from Day to uh, make this all about Coombs, which, you know, it might be all about Coombs, but they're definitely getting, like, the uh, the text messages from, you know, whatever GAs about how, like, yeah, you know, we're, we're about to make our him our sacrificial lamb. But anyway, seems very, very They'd never funny. do that. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, mean, never. I'll take the bad vibes, right? Like, it's, you know, yes. whenever Michigan does beat, like someday Michigan will beat Ohio State again, right? I hope. And uh, like you know, part of the part of the horrible feeling of them being invincible the last few years has been like they just never seem to get into these bad vibes ruts that derail college football teams. Not that we know anything about that as Michigan fans, but <laughs> uh, I'll take that. I'll take their fans freaking out like a bunch of babies over finally losing a regular season game. And I, I will say one last thing, which is I do think that their defense will probably get better by the time they face Michigan, just because like the odds favor that happening. But the really wild thing is that you can recruit like them and have zero impact players in your defense. And by zero impact players, I mean, not only that they do not have an Aiden Hutchinson or a Dax Hill, they don't even have a, a Josh Ross. They may not even have like, um, like a Mozzie Smith on that team right now, which seems crazy put, to say. Put some respect on Haskell Garrett. <laughs> okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, fair the enough. defensive oh, line on. is still pretty good. Uh, uh, Oregon blew them off the ball, man. Like, they did not play. I'll say this. They didn't play well. They're still probably better than Michigan, so they did not play well, though. Oh, yeah. I saw, like, a grand total of three snaps. So, yeah, everything with a grain of salt. But I, <laughs> coming into the season, the defensive line wasn't supposed to be this bad, right? I just want to say, Haskell Garrett, if you're listening to this, um, I, I'm, I do not want to talk badly about you. I will not be slandering a man that was shot in the face and, and continues to play football. That's not something I'm about to do. At a very uh, high level. The the bucket yeah. problem uh, disavows Cotter, Cotter's take on Yeah, the Mozzie Smith comment was like this. The Mozzie Smith take was a hot take. I know what, although, you're, going, I know what you're going for. I'm, I'm going to walk that back and just say that, like, just watching, like, examination of film from the last game, I do think Michigan's interior DL deserves a lot of credit for playing quite well. And yes. Ohio State's does not. And this is based on one week. But that's all that I really meant there. <laughs> to Ace's point that he made earlier about Ohio State no longer having a Bosa or a Chase Young out there, um, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that does seem like something that Michigan does have, even if he's not going to be a, t- a top five draft pick. Aiden Hutchinson was dominant against Washington. We're, we're going to get to that in a moment, yeah. but but first, um, I have another idea for how Michigan can gain an edge in the in the game, and we figured it out last week, which is. Um, we need home field apparel and use the promo code bucket problem for 15% off your first order um, to release an Ohio state collection about a month before the game. Like give like give it about a month because that, that was about the timing for Washington's big new Saturday drop. And I feel like it gave time for the home field magic to kind of kick in and then wear off. And not only did Washington face plant in week one, it wasn't a setup for a home field upset. It was uh, a setup for Michigan's home field magic to maintain dominance. Home field magic is a very complicated thing. We're still not sure how it works, but we're thinking Ohio State collection month before the game, worth a shot. So once again, use promo code bucket problem for 15% your fifteen percent off your first order from homefield.com, homefieldapparel.com. Good Lord, I've done this promo enough that I should be able to read that well. Um, but yes, um, 
let's let's think about uh you know maybe maybe putting a Buckeyes Buckeye collection out there um and also a Michigan refresh you know let's uh let's cover all our bases now now we can talk about how Aiden Hutchinson was absolutely rampant in this freaking game because he's going up against I haven't I forgot to look at his name before we started but uh Washington's left tackle is like an all-conference player and supposedly like a potential first-round NFL draft pick. So unlike a lot of the stuff with Washington's offense where you kind of have to throw it away because they're coached by John Donovan and might not have that much talent out there, uh, what Aiden Hutchinson did seems uh, terrifyingly repeatable. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember Dan before this season making a prediction that Aiden Hutchinson could lead the country in sacks, and I was like, okay, Dan, let's let's take it easy here. He Actually, that was only me. Head. By the way. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I, I said he was going to be. I said he would be defensive player, of the, d- defensive player of the year in the conference and an All American. That was okay. my take. Uh, I was one of the hot, the sacks hot takes. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, well, <laughs> both of those takes are looking a lot better than they did two weeks ago because, yeah, I. Did not know that Washington's left tackle was an NFL prospect, and Hutchison made that guy look bad. And I think he's currently tied for third in the country in sacks right now. Um, but yeah, his presence just, you got to send more than one guy to block him because he's going to get pressure on the QB if not. Well, there was that really cool uh, fourth down play where Washington sent no guys to block him. <laughs> I enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, uh, he. He got a QB hit on the quarterback with uh, an All-American tight end. Like he drove the tight end back into the quarterback, and like did and like I think Ace you tweeted about this. It was like a weird little Madden. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. like he, he's so strong that like the quarterback sort of flew back at a speed that didn't feel like it should have been possible. It was like a very awkward looking play that you would see like in Madden, and it was he definitely made it happen. And um, yeah, he's. It's crazy to see what he is able to do just as a pure edge rusher because he's just always been, you know, last year especially was an anchor primarily, right? And like had so much, um, so much, uh, you know, so many, so many run responsibilities that he had to worry about first. And this year is just a pure edge rusher. Like he's, he's such a terror and it's, it's, uh, it's really great to see. Yeah, and he does hold up well against the run, but yeah, I think oh, yeah. Um, especially in uh, personnel when there's three defensive tackles out there, you really can get after the QB. Yeah, I think like we've seen this, and we just talked about Ohio State, but their their recent history is a great example. The simplest cheat code in college football and defenses is to have that just destructive edge rusher that you have to double team or otherwise scheme dramatically around against uh, as an offense. Like that has been the key to Ohio State's success. Um, you know, like their 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 monster twenty nineteen team, which might have been their most loaded team ever, um, with Chase Young. And I think also this is where because it's a good Aiden Hutchinson is he is that level of problem by himself. I also want to give Mike McDonald some credit for again mm-hmm. unleashing him in scheme. Um, like McDonald has unearthed some actual depth in the defensive line, which like was one of our biggest concerns coming into this year. Like he's got Mike Morris as kind of an anchor in even front sometimes, or just sort of like a hybrid edge DL. I don't know what you'd call him, but he's, he's getting, he's playing a serious role. Chris Jenkins is kind of starting to emerge. Um, I think, I think Whitley even got into this game last game. Yes. So, wearing a single digit number and like not being moved at all. <laughs> yeah. I love it. He um, looked, it, 
he looked hysterical out there. <laughs> Number three. Uh, I'm a- sorry. Anyone weighing over 330 pounds should be wearing a single digit number. Uh, Absolutely. It's Yeah, it's and cute. I think like, you know, I mean, McDonald, I, I, this is where I want to take a moment to just say like, look, I don't know what the ceiling for this Michigan defense is, and I do expect them to get exposed at some point um, or multiple points just because I don't think they're an elite unit yet. But I will say, like, this thus far into the year, when I see, like, Jalen Harrell kind of bench second-year edge guy, like, you know, taking Kate Otten out of the game in coverage, I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. At the very least, these coaches are getting the most out of these guys. And that is really nice to see. Yeah, I think I think I had actually a couple of general defensive takes. Um, first of all, I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned the interior um, defensive uh, line play. And I think it's been a, ge- a genuine positive. Um, uh, Washington's O-line seems like it's just going to be a huge bust this year. So um, those caveats apply. Uh, I will say, like, coming into the year, both Western Michigan and and uh, Washington were supposed to have good veteran offensive lines. So, I mean, you know, I'm going to hold off on, like, going on buying in fully um, quite yet. But, like, I, it's hard not to be a, a little bit encouraged, at least. Um, definitely stock way up. Um, but it's, I, I think it's interesting something that they're doing. Um, they're actually lifting Mozzie Smith, which they definitely need to do because he's, he's too big to play every snap. Um, they're using him strategically um, when they go into their uh, nickel package where they only have two defensive tackles on the field. Um, and because they need him when they only have two. Um, but when they have three defensive tackles, they're actually using uh, some of their smaller, quote unquote, smaller. We're talking like <laughs> 315 pounds. Um, they're using some of their smaller interior linemen because when they have three defensive tackles, everyone gets single blocking, which is actually interesting. And like I thought, you know, might not work on teams that can consistently like get doubles um on you know the nose tackle but at least for right now like using um being able to use donovan jeter or like mike morris as the nose with like two other defensive tackles seems like it's a good way to like wring some more snaps out of the our like pretty thin defensive uh, line um but and then and then more on the negative side i will say like especially later in the game, there are still some breakdowns in this zone. Um, there are some, there are some players that there's definitely some like, you know, pre-snap like pointing um, and like trying to figure out. Um, there's a couple plays where we didn't get lined up and there's definitely a couple plays where like two zone defenders are like right next to each other. And when you see that, that usually means something has gone wrong. Um, so like definitely still figuring things out, but that part's only going to get better. Um, and you know, Western Michigan and and uh, uh, Washington both probably don't have very good offenses, but this is what like a good defense does to bad offenses. You know, is like limit them to like under fourteen points. So you know, I think it, it's hard not to be stock up overall on the defense. Yeah, and McDonald was also doing a, a pretty interesting job of rotating players, not just up and up front, but. On the back end, I mean, we saw Rod Moore unfortunately get victimized for uh, Washington's only touchdown, but he also had a, a pretty nice uh, pass defense out there. I mean, and I, I would assume that um, he might have been part of the uh, communication mix-ups because uh, that's a freshman safety. Um, but the fact that they trust these guys enough to rotate them through 
I mean, you're going to have the occasional uh, bust when you're installing a new defense, and the fact that it's happening for Michigan late in very comfortable victories when they're playing players that are, you know, on the two deep, but, you know, maybe more like the three deep with Michigan right now. Um, that that feels like a pretty encouraging sign. Um, I do want to get to touching – I mean – I think we have to talk about the offensive play calling in more detail, even though um, I think, I mean, I've made my take known on it, which is that like, if you can run the ball that well, then why bother passing? And well, it's frustrating for us as fans to not uh, be able to get a better read on like, what is Michigan going to try to do uh, this year? And how good is Cade McNamara really once he goes against a, a very legitimate defense? But when you can get through an entire game basically while like putting a couple run plays on film uh throwing a couple bs screens that get blown up but it doesn't really matter and having like one nice back shoulder fade uh to stick in people's minds and otherwise just shelve your passing game like you do it yeah it's funny i actually missed the uh the complaining on twitter regarding the play calling but i did have an old-fashioned heckler a couple rows behind me that was complaining about the play calling um yeah you know i mean if you can run the ball like that you kind of have to and washington was conceding that like there's been a little bit of talk um on twitter from people who have like watched film and everything but it's like washington kept their safeties back didn't really load up the box they clearly were screaming off the edge by the end of the game but yeah, I mean, if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, six yards of carry is hard to argue with. Yeah, and I, I just want to add this, which is, like, this was not an encouraging data point for the passing game. Like, <laughs> Cade McNamara did have some bad throws. He had some, some times when he was late, seemingly getting through his reads. Um, I don't – we don't know what the receiving situation looks like post-Ronnie Bell, although we did miss him as a blocker, which could be a real problem. Um so like, there's a lot of, I think that the key things are a lot of question marks. And as Michigan fans, and we see question marks on offense or anywhere at this point, we start freaking out. And I understand that. I do it. We were all doing it in the group chat. I think in the cold light of day, though, like, you know, most of what I've seen from Cade McNamara over the last two seasons, I've liked. Um, I think he's shown a lot of consistency prior to this game. This was probably his worst game as a passer. And I, I am pretty confident that Michigan has some interesting things in their playbook that they're just loath to use. And I do think Jim Harbaugh has more of an NFL attitude about this, where he does not really believe in the whole like game reps philosophy for your offense. He likes to keep things under wraps and that we could, we could say that that might be a problem as far as like player confidence and just getting stuff fully installed. Like, I'm not saying that that's inherently good, but I do think that like, given the complexity of the run game in this game, for instance, I don't think the problem is like the playbook is too shallow or whatever. I think that Michigan just doesn't want to tip their hand until they have to. And I think for instance, you'll see things like they'll go to that, you know, Stanford ogre alignment that they were using on the goal line at some point and then run some trickery off it and Penn state or someone will hopefully be caught flat footed. I think that stuff's coming. So, you know, it's really funny that Michigan fans would potentially complain about a 10 play drive of all runs that ends <laughs> with just pushing Washington into the end zone, because isn't that what we want? Isn't that like the platonic ideal of successful big 10 football is just pushing a team right down the field into the end zone over and over. I mean, in fairness, uh, and I, uh, this certainly was the case for my, and I, I think the complaints were more coming from say Michigan, uh, handing it off on third and 10 in their own territory in the first half or calling like a really uh, just totally biffed zone read on another third and long um, situations where it felt like 
it was still sort of a game, even though, uh, I mean, I was I felt very comfortable with the outcome uh, pretty much as soon as Michigan scored. Um, but uh, I, I, I like in those situations, you wanted to see Michigan throw the ball as a fan. It was frustrating when the runs didn't work. And then when you go and look back at how the game played out, you're like, okay, like uh, maybe that was actually fine. And I overreacted a bit. Yeah, that that's all fair. I do think it's impossible not to be at least a little bit concerned about the future of the passing game based sure. on what we saw in week two. But, yeah, you know, hopefully over the course of September, you know, a couple more home games, um, Cade and the passing offense can get a little warmed up heading into Wisconsin. So I want to kind of break this down into like two buckets because I was complaining. I'm I'm one of them. It's it's you. It's me. I'm ta- you're talking about Alex. Um, that was complaining. <laughs> I, I'm not complaining as much as some others, but was complaining a little bit on Twitter. Um, I kind of want to break it down into two buckets. It's a like you have the 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 runs on like third and long, which I was generally like kind of annoyed about because not kind of I was I was very annoyed about, especially when the game <laughs> is still close. Um, because it's just a, I mean, it's just generally a bad call, especially one of them was like a, 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 a fake zone read to, to speed option, which was just totally doomed. Oh, that was brutal. Um, yeah, but that was a bad one. We've tried to run that a couple times and it just, it doesn't work if you, it, whatever, we don't have to get into it, but it's, it doesn't work <laughs> you, if you don't you gotta run, run the zone, zone read. read. First. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't work. So there was that part, um, which, which I found annoying. And I just think like generally, yes, you should pass on third and long. And like, I know that, you know, they were, they kind of had made the calculation at that point that like, Hey, we don't think Washington can beat us unless we turn it over. But I still just think like, yeah, but what is the real risk of like turning it over on like one passing play on third and long, whatever. Okay, fine. I'll, 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 I'll write that off as like, you know, um, as, as being pretty, maybe overly conservative. Um, the other point that I, that I, complained about during the game but have kind of come back down on is the fact that there was no real play action off of their they ran one play action play basically um and it was by the way was wide open and if if Hassan Haskins makes a block it's going to be a chunk play um but I digress um (laughs) what I've kind of come to realize now is that uh I think that basically like Washington never loaded the box in the way that um, that Western Michigan did, or the way that other some other teams might be when or might do when uh, they're getting run all over. Um, Washington uh, rolled safeties down, but they rolled safeties down to the perimeter to protect against any time that uh, a tight end would come in short motion and you know um, like threaten to kind of like go go to the other flat. Um, or uh, we would run any kind of like flare motion. They would rotate a, a safety down and basically like be really aggressive about like, hey, you're not going to get easy, um, easy yards in the perimeter from us. Um, and but they never actually rolled a safety down into the box. They were playing um, a man, or they were playing either even or a man down in the box pretty much at all times. And Michigan made the decision that like, okay, if you're not going to d- dedicate more um, material to the box and you're not going to actually stop any of our runs, we're going to run it on every standard down. Um, and it worked, and it, the offense was incredibly efficient, and uh, I, can't, I can't argue about that. Um, I think my general, my general concern about the offense is that through pretty much since 2018, 
We have not had a play action game that actually looks like our running game. Like even that year in 2018 where they could they were running the ball so well, they did not really take advantage of it in the play action game. And I I do worry a little bit that that's like a Harbaugh problem and I'm I'm going to hold out hope that it's in the playbook and that we have stuff that's going to like pop guys wide open like a good running game should do, but I just like I want to be able to see that. And I'm probably not going to see it for the next two games. Hopefully, I'll see it against Wisconsin. Um, anyway, sorry, long-winded uh, rant. I yeah, I think that's a good transition to the final point. I want to really hammer home here, which is that on the surface, this game looked like vintage Harbaugh, and from some angles, not in a good way, right? Because we say vintage Harbaugh, we think about a kind of stubborn, bang your head against a wall running game that can look uncreative, especially if you don't know all the nuances, which I certainly don't. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of details to these blocking schemes, but. Here's the big difference, right? Yes, this is the stuff Harbaugh loves to do, but it's in the context of a game plan that, you know, looking at the result was clearly correct and indisputably worked. And then the actual play calling, as Dan just elaborated, the actual play calling responded to what Washington did in response to the game plan, right? The actual play calling was strategic and flexible rather than dogmatic and stubborn. So it's not vintage Harbaugh in the sense that this is just a stubborn refusal to do anything but the few things we want to do. It's actually, this is the, this is what you want from your offensive coordinator, from your game plan, no matter the situation, which is to have a good game plan coming in and then to run the things that are actually working uh, as the defense adjusts. And so I think it's tough to complain about from that point of view, even though it's totally valid to be worried about what's coming in the future. Yeah, another big reason to not complain about the lack of passes and specifically the lack of play action is as... Um, again, Seth Fisher detailed in uh, a post on Emco blog today, uh, Michigan ran RPOs, like a whole bunch of them. Um, a lot of those counters had players going out into pass routes. And that's a really good way to have a play-action game work off of uh, your run game is to just have them both mashed together into one play. The problem, at least as far as like seeing passes go into the air is concerned, is that Washington never made Michigan go to the pass read because they uh, were screaming. They they were playing to let Michigan give. Um, and they played to prevent Michigan from going to the air. And um, they took it in the face as a result. And it also meant that we didn't get to see Michigan throw the ball much because that uh, it would have been silly to do so uh, given the situation. So, yeah, I, I mean, there's some worries about the fact that McNamara wasn't uh, smoothly and quickly going through his reads on a couple plays. Uh, but, I, I mean, we're talking about two or three pass attempts at this point where, where that happened. And it's it's hard for me to get too worked up uh, when the sample size is that small. A couple other things I, I wanted to get to really quick before um, we hit our picks for this week. Uh, one thing that I... I really love seeing on offense that we haven't mentioned yet was Blake Corum lining up in the slot uh, with Michigan going empty in the backfield and converting uh, a third down. Also Michigan going tempo uh, in the run game back to back after a decent second down run set up a third and one. They tempoed to the line, caught Washington completely off guard. Also like the entire ESPN production and every Michigan fan in the world. Um, but, uh, that was easy and a really encouraging thing 
two C in the offense, and then uh, I, I think we've touched on it before, but um, the decision to fake that punt uh, absolutely, you know, it basically ended the game, um, and really, uh, uh, it was great to see Harbaugh have aggression in that particular scenario. Yeah, I do want to say about the fake punt, like. I know we, we kind of um, lament like uh, the fact that we still sort of use an outdated punting formation, um, which, you know, it's it's halfway true because it's it, they do have more gunners out there now. But mm-hmm. I do think like just the ability to run that dive play on, on a fourth and one out of that uh, punt formation is so tough to stop if you send your punt team out. And um, I think that alone is like worth uh not having maybe as good of coverage so i want to put myself firmly in the i like the old punt formation camp um because it it is a lot more conducive to fakes um you basically cannot run a a a fake out of a um a a modern you know spread punt formation and and michigan in this game averages uh i mean I, i thought brad robbins did a great job he averages 46 yards per punt uh with uh an average return of a single yard and pins one inside the 20, hits two for 50 or more yards, forces two fair catches. That's, I mean, the, the downside to what Michigan does is hypothetically giving up returns, and he's hanging them up there, and Michigan is getting guys down the field to the point where they're not giving them up. So at, at that point, if you can also uh, threaten blocks and uh, on, on one side and uh, prevent them with your formation and then uh also be able to run more threatening fakes uh that's become a real advantage so i i think we have to embrace the at least somewhat pro style punt formation that brings us to uh the pick section and i am kind of loath to introduce it because uh i finished last last week and i am now last on the season, uh, I went one and three. I am now two six and one over the last two weeks. Um, I'm getting washed a little bit, at least in the picks that I'm throwing out there in public. Uh, Alex went three and one to take our picks column last week. Uh, Connor and Dan both went two and two. Uh, Dan is currently our overall leader at five three and one on his picks. So um, fade me and play Dan. I guess uh, this is a terrifying thing, uh, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's where we are right now. I've written fuck my life in the show notes. Um, all right, the, these are lines taken from points bet as of Tuesday around, I don't know, 4.30 p.m. So um, they may have changed by the time you pick this up, uh, you're listening to this, especially um, if you hang around and listen to our Sickos game of the week because that line has moved quite a bit. Um but we start off uh, with, I think this is a Friday game, and it is a Big Ten game. Uh, Maryland travels to at Illinois. Mar- uh, travels to at Illinois. Maryland travels to Illinois. Um, they are favored by 7.5 points, the Terrapins. The over-under for this one is 60.5. All of us, all of us picked Maryland. I- I'm not even going to throw it to each individual person here because this is Maryland versus Illinois. We all picked Maryland. I assume we all think that Maryland's passing game is so much more explosive than anything Illinois can do on offense that there's just nothing Illinois can do to keep this particularly close without a fluke. Yeah, baffled by this line. I, I, I it almost it almost makes me suspicious, but I'm not going to overthink it. I think 
Illinois is horrendous, and I think Maryland is like has a legitimately good offense. So that's all I'll say about this one. Yeah, I I don't know who's setting this line, but like I'm actually a Maryland skeptic. Like I am not a believer. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, like, well, I don't think. I know that their skill guys are just going to be torching Illinois' completely embarrassing defense all night. So, Yeah, I don't have anything to say about this game, really. But I do want to mention that my under on the Ohio State-Oregon game hit by half a point last week. So that was awesome. That that, that was what knocked you to 3-1. and one, And I initially had you written down as 2-2 two and two because uh, I'm not good at uh, mental math. That's my cue to say I knew that Oregon was going to be at least beat the spread. And all of you doubted me, and who's laughing now? <laughs> I'm laughing yeah. all the way to the bank right now, brother. <laughs> Connor, right. if, if only you had believed in Michigan. Um, oh, no, wait, you did. Uh, I did, yeah. But what, what did you miss on? Oh, Iowa State. Got yeah, I believe in Iowa, Iowa State. State. That's and, no, and I picked Buffalo. I picked Iowa money line. I picked Iowa money line. Yeah, Alex got his advantage from picking Iowa. We were all wrong about Nebraska, and I have in all caps lock of the week next to Buffalo. Um, go me! <laughs> I'm really killing it. Uh, sorry. Uh, let's move past that one Big Ten matchup from this week. Uh, the next one on the docket is the one we're obligated to do: Northern Illinois. Uh, plus 27 at the moment at Michigan. Um, I think this open with Michigan favored more like 23. This has moved significantly in Michigan's direction. The total is 54 and a half. Um, I am so much in the stay away camp on uh, this 27 point line that I'm not making a pick for it. So I don't lose it. Uh, I am saying to play the over on this one because I think Michigan is going to be able to run all over Northern Illinois, but not necessarily in a way where it's moving slowly. And, uh, I mean, we've seen Rocky Lombardi pick apart a Michigan secondary before. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think Northern Illinois is good for at least, like, 10 points, and that might be all that's needed to hit this over. Um, but in general, I would stay to stay the hell away from this one. Um, I think uh, I think that's the uh, the general take, but I, I, Connor has more notes than anybody else on this one, so I'm going to throw it to him. Okay, so you should actually never, with real money, bet a 27 point spread <laughs> but not I, true i have hit some of those early on because uh, <laughs> they set them too low in some cases that's uh, uh, that's true but uh, I, uh, I, massachusetts I, and connecticut may be involved <laughs> I, I will say though i have a governing philosophy here for these picks and i'm gonna stick my neck out which is uh I have been bullish on Michigan in these picks, and that has led to two dominant – that has directly contributed, I would say, to two dominant performances by the Michigan football team. So yes. even though 27 points is far too many, I'm going to pick Michigan in the hopes that that helps them play their best on Saturday. I'm going to do it for you, boys. Doing it for the team. <laughs> yeah, I'm not betting this game. <laughs> Thank you, Alex, for the, the uh, I'm, I'm going to avoid the- – I'm gonna avoid the uh, the 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 jinx and and um, I'll just say NIU bit of a hangover game noon game um, 27 points is a lot uh, North Northern Illinois can probably has a good enough offense to like put up some points on our backups and kind of get a backdoor cover so um, Northern Illinois but Michigan wins by like 24 so yeah and if you if you say anything about Rocky Lombardi I am coming down there so uh, I, I yeah. will also <laughs> speaking of backdoor covers I will make one note here because I have some access I have some intel on Northern Illinois they played Wyoming last week which is a team that I know well Craig Bull is possibly the man coach in FBS and Wyoming scored 50 on Northern Illinois yeah, that, which, that was a whooping 
Yeah, the last time that Craig Bull scored 50 on a team was probably when he was at North Dakota State uh, in the old FCS days. So that should tell you the state of Northern Illinois' defense. And I think even if Michigan goes back up for the entire second half, they're going to hang some points on these guys. I promise you that. Over. Over. Hit that over. Um, the next game, oh, my God, I can't believe this game is still on the schedule. Uh, it, I mean, I guess this has looked marginally better the last uh, week or two, but week zero just laid a really horrifying foundation for this one. Nebraska um, getting 22 points at Oklahoma. Um, the total for this one is 61.5. Uh, I am picking the Sooners, even though we just talked about how big lines are terrifying. Uh and Adrian Martinez has at least played uh, significantly better over the last couple of weeks than he looked in week one. But uh, this line is already at 22 and a half, depending on uh, which sports book you're using. Um, so if you can get Oklahoma at 22 points, I would say do it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's much more to explain other than Oklahoma has Spencer Rattler and an incredibly explosive offense. And Nebraska is Nebraska. I, I would like to interject real quickly here. Um, so this rivalry, uh, extinct rivalry, is weirdly near and dear to my heart because both of my maternal grandparents, one of them went to Oklahoma, one of them went to Nebraska, and for you know a couple of decades there was one of the best rivalries in all of college football. Um, Oklahoma has managed to keep up that standard um, into the present day. Nebraska, unfortunately, has not. Um, but I have been excited to see this game on the schedule for several years because it was so special to my family. Um, my mom grew up a huge college football fan and wound up going to Michigan. And yeah, I don't know. I Both of my grandparents um, have passed, uh, and I think they both would be really disappointed that I'm betting this game, but I'm going to take <laughs> you over. Uh, that's... Lovely. Um, all right. Uh, Connor and Dan both have Oklahoma. We're going to try to get through these quick because uh, there are more games on the schedule than useful, usual, uh, at least that are worth discussing, I guess. Um, Cincinnati, uh, minus three and a half at Indiana with an over-under of 50. Um, this almost feels like a trap. Uh, Who is setting of, these lines? Kind of, kind of like the Maryland game does. Because uh, Cincinnati's a very good football team. I mean, they may not be quite as good as they were last year, but I also don't know that for sure. Um, and Indiana just looks like a whole mess right now. Um, and, I mean, I'll put it this way. Uh, I have seen and heard comparisons from Indiana fans um, uh, drawing a parallel between Nick Sheridan and one of his mentors, Mike DeBoard. And if that does not strike fear in your heart when thinking about putting real money on Indiana football, it should. And that's why the over-under in this game is only 50 points. So I'm taking Cincy. This is my lock of the week, which scares me, as does the fact that, uh, spoiler alert, we all picked Cincy. Um, and I would stay away from that total because it's uh, kind of frighteningly low. Um, but man, um, th this is one that definitely feels trappy. Um, uh, I think that, yeah, I, I just don't believe in Indiana's offense. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Cincinnati just, it feels like Indiana's coming back down to our earth, uh, pretty, pretty damn hard here. Um, and, uh, I think 
they'll figure it out at a certain point during the season, but I don't think that's against Cincinnati this week. So um, I'm going with Cincy. All right. We are moving right ahead to a, a game between uh, – this is a weird one. Uh, Michigan State plus six and a half at Miami, um, which is just coming off of uh, – realizing what it's like to play Alabama early in the season. Um, don't ever do it. Just don't. Um, total on this one is 56 and a half. I am taking Miami. I, I think they get um, that uh, very warm, soothing feeling of lining up and realizing you're not uh, across from Alabama players. And um, But also uh, playing Alabama makes it very difficult to figure out if a team is good or not. So uh, I don't, I don't, feel great about this pick uh but at the same time i don't feel great about um michigan state covering even though they did look pretty competent on offense last week against youngstown state in a way where like it looked somewhat repeatable even though the opponent was obviously at a pretty low level um alex uh i I would think you've got the other the flip side of this one yeah, I was actually tempted to pull the trigger on the state money line because there is some chance that they could be pretty decent. Whereas with Miami playing Alabama the first week of the season, you just get destroyed, you get beat up. And I think, you know, they showed some statistic during week one of like all of the teams that had played season openers against Alabama. And it, it really messes you up for the rest of the season in most cases. So um, Michigan State, gets almost a touchdown. I felt comfortable taking them um, against the spread, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Sparty could, could pull a surprise this weekend. I, I think that um, it's actually like, this is going to be an interesting game. Um, I think Michigan state has looked definitely well coached and competent, um, but we all, we know almost nothing about them because Northwestern is horrendous. I'm going to beat that drum oh for the entire God. season. They're awful, like awful, awful, awful. Um, and Youngstown State is Youngstown State. And I think Michigan State's defense has actually looked a little bit shaky. Um, but I think they're better coached than Miami, but Miami is a lot faster. Um, and they're also, Miami's definitely battle tested. I mean, they, they got <laughs> kind of, I mean, they got smoked by Alabama, <laughs> which gives you like a, you know, a good idea of like, you know, how, <laughs> I mean, you've definitely like, you've lost, like you, you've been punched in the mouth already this season, whereas Michigan State definitely hasn't. Um, and then they also beat what is, I know, you know, you're all going to laugh, but like pretty decent Appalachian State team last week. Um, no, so none like, of us are laughing at that. Dan. Yeah, no, none of us sure. are laughing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I think I think it's going to be an interesting game. I really don't quite know what to expect, but it's at Miami. It's going to be hot. Um, it's going to be humid. And Miami has by far the better quarterback and a lot more talent. And I think they could potentially uh, score a lot of points in this Michigan State defense, which I think is is low-key very, very shaky. So um, I'm going to go with Miami, even though I, I think I've been pretty fair to Michigan State on this podcast. I've, I've, I was the only one that told you to bet them week one. So You've been way too fair to them, actually. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah if anything, you have flipped too far in the other direction, but uh, I, I'm with you on the Miami pick, albeit somewhat tentatively. Um, but Derek King does seem like a good reason uh, to put money on them. Um, some interlocutor has put Purdue at Notre Dame on our show notes. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Purdue is plus seven and a half, apparently. I do not know the total because I tried to leave this game off. Um, <laughs> Dan, I believe you might be at fault here. I don't yeah. know. Uh, my girlfriend said we have to uh, talk about this game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, she has to sit I, through I, you recording this, yeah. so fair enough. She, she has to be quiet. She has to be quiet uh, while we record this <laughs> podcast. Um, and I have God. to turn. I have to turn the AC off every time. It's it's a whole thing. So she said, "I swear to God, if you don't talk about Purdue and Notre Dame, I'm 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 gonna lose it." Um, Purdue's obviously <laughs> covering and winning. Purdue money line lock. Uh, you know, bet the mortgage. The money um, line you didn't even write down. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, I was she was she literally texted me. She's like, "Is are you about to talk about Purdue?" And I'm like, "Oh shit, got to put it on the show." Notes. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to give a serious analysis here, which is that I've seen enough Brian Kelly. So my dad's a Notre Dame alumnus, so I've been exposed to them a lot. And uh, oh I have seen God. enough Brian. He's also a Michigan <laughs> alumnus. Shut up, Dan. You're, you're a Michigan State fan now. Shut up. <laughs> um, anyway, I've seen enough Brian Kelly teams to know what they do, which is like they love to like have some horrible game early in the season where they barely eke out a win and then like turn around and cave somebody's head in. And their seasons are always deeply, like, like very postmodern, like, incoherent, no clear narrative arc. Um, all of which is to say, I think Notre Dame's going to beat the crap out of Purdue this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have much of a take on this game besides Jeff Brom probably isn't a great coach. Um, another game that was not originally on the show notes that I did bet is uh, Penn State minus six against Auburn at home. Um just wanted to throw that in there. Oh, that one I actually should have put on here and just uh, forgot. Um, so that's that's my bad on that. Yeah, Auburn hasn't really played anyone, and it's a road game. for It's their first road game of the year, their first decent opponent. Penn State is battle-tested with a, a decent road victory. Um, so yeah, I went with the, the Lions there. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and make the call since I run the show that games that were not on the show notes do not count uh, <laughs> for the picks uh, tally. Yeah. Um, at least uh, for people who uh, did not see them before we started making the pick. Uh, Connor and Dan, you are going to get held to yours. Um, especially if Notre Dame color covers Dan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know who I'd take in that one. Um, I, uh, I apologize for uh, forgetting Purdue or Penn State um, Auburn on this list. That one actually is an interesting game. Instead, I got completely thrown and distracted by seeing this game on the schedule, which I'm going to ask Connor to explain. Um, Northwestern is a three-point favorite at Duke. This is a football game that these two institutions decided would be okay to play and even put in a 4 o'clock time slot so that a whole bunch of people would think, you know what, this might be funny. Let's watch it. The total is 49 and a half, which is disgusting. This opened with Northwestern favored by nine and a half, and apparently enough people have watched Northwestern what? try to play <laughs> offense that it immediately moved like six and a half points. It's probably still moving as I speak. I am staying as far the fuck away from this game as possible. If I did have to bet, it'd probably be Duke's money line, but this is gross. Connor, what the fuck? Hey. Nine and a half points? Seriously? That, nine okay. and a half. I don't even know if they can score nine points. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, Northwestern. Okay. Like, here's the thing. This is set. The reason that Northwestern's favorite is because Duke opened the season by losing to Charlotte. 
which is one of those programs that like, are they FCS or FBS? No one knows. I'm not going to check. Nope. But <laughs> um, Duke's like, but Duke likes to do this too. Duke loves to open the season looking wretched and then get things together to the point where they're respectable. That's been a big pattern under Cutcliffe. And I am with Dan. I think Northwestern is absolutely terrible at football this year. I think that their defense is probably even worse than a lot of their fans may think. And we know their offense is, I mean, frankly, FCS level, despite having a five-star quarterback, which is very funny. But um, I think Duke, I think Duke can cover that at home. I mean, I I don't know why Northwestern would get three points in any game against someone not in the FCS this year. That's that's ridiculous. On the road, what and. What uh, they're all going to get together at midfield and like read the Iliad and the Odyssey? Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's our lock of the week. This is the <laughs> um, I someone's think, I bringing think... a book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm picking Duke as well. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that both of these teams are probably way better at investment banking and management consulting than they are at football. <laughs> so maybe they should just fast forward to that. Unlike Michigan, <laughs> which is just as good at at investment banking. <laughs> oh god i just i'm so upset that this is being played i'm so upset at that opening line and that someone thought that was a good idea and also that i didn't jump on it uh when it existed um because goodness gracious if northwestern covers nine and a half points i will keel over um but duke at plus 120 um sounds pretty interesting if it still exists by the time you listen to this they might be favored by six at this point who knows i don't know when you're listening but that's it for the show this week uh thank you to everybody who's tuned in um i will have more details on the whole um going premium uh bit with the newsletter and the uh second podcast feed later in the week um we are uh working on a, a little special promotion um for the launch um so we don't want to do that prematurely um so go to thebucketproblem.com and you can stay updated on all of this Subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast. Rate us, review us, set us to download on your podcast app. That is super important for like us making money, which uh, would be really, really nice. Um, use promo code BucketProblem at HomeFieldApparel.com. Uh, contact BucketProblem at gmail.com for inquiries. Uh, and thank you very much for listening. Have a great week.